been called many things. Two peas in a pod. Thelma and Louise. Best friends. Thing one and thing two. And a good number of times, even sisters. But the one we love the most is mother and daughter. And that's the tea. What's the tea, Nia? Is that's the tea? That, that's but, the tea. But I don't get it. Never mind. I'll explain it later. Welcome to Real Talk with Deb and Nia. As a friendly reminder, you can find our episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. So make sure to hit the subscribe button so you never miss out. Hi, everyone. Happy Wednesday. I'm Nia. And I'm Deb. And we have been digesting so much information on how we can thrive in our lives this season. From Janine Deanna discussing how to design your life around your core values to Dion Monsanto on ways we can live in joy. Tammy Jordan took us step by step on how she took the plunge and now lives out of three suitcases. She's trying to go down to two and she said one suitcase per hand, Um, but she's living out of three suitcases right now and is coaching and is living the nomadic life traveling around the world. And then we also talked and learned how Rodessa Jones went from being the child of migrant workers to a thriving international performance artist whose definition of thriving includes helping incarcerated women and women with HIV find themselves and learn to thrive. Overall, we've just heard so many diverse, powerful, and inspirational stories that have demonstrated what thriving looks like to different individuals because it can change. And that's change is good. (laughs) Variety is good. Well, because it can look different for each of us. Yeah, it can. And I think that's because thriving is part state of mind and part action. And we've said it before, mindset is everything. Our brains just can't take a joke. And so if you believe you're going to fail, then the universe will bring you failure results. So speak life and love over yourself and your dreams. You know, one of the things that I think about is like threads running through something and they're common threads that have run through this thriving tapestry that we have going. Like, um, how do you get to a place where you're actively thriving it requires certain things like honesty with yourself mm-hmm. you first and then with others, vulnerability, open-mindedness and a willingness to learn. And that's something we've talked a lot about over the years, right? Having right. a beginner's mind. A beginner's <laughs> mind. <laughs> it's like a dog and pony show. We talk about it a lot because um, there's always something more we can learn no matter how well we know a subject or what stage of life we're in. That is correct. (laughs) That is why today we are talking about insurance in general and life insurance and long-term care insurance. Um, But insurance is one of those things that most of us, and we learned with Dr. Brookshire, that you're not supposed to group people in if you're not a part of the Part of the group, but I am part of the group. So most <laughs> of us, including myself, uh, have, have not fully understood what insurance is. We aren't really taught uh, specifically, and it's kind of this mysterious, you know, 
only for certain people who might be in a different tax bracket or those who, you know, have the secrets from, you know, the 1900s or whatever. Um, <laughs> but that couldn't be farther from the truth. That's why we invited Susan Blaze to join us again to help shed light on insurance and why it's an important conversation and topic. Now, some of you may remember that Susan joined us last season to discuss grief and how we can successfully move through the grieving process without getting stuck. And you can find that episode in the description below. It's really a great episode and it's really important, especially if you lost someone or you are grieving. It's so beneficial. Um, or have had major life changes. Yes, it doesn't have to be. Yeah, it says, yeah, does not have to things. be someone Listen to the episode. It's all there. (laughs) Susan was also in the insurance industry, and so she's here to spill the tea. So her introduction, Susan Blaze has a diverse background with an ongoing commitment to personal growth for herself and her clients. She made the journey from receptionist to CEO in the corporate world over 25 years, beginning when women were just starting to move into management in the insurance industry. Along the way, she obtained a master's in marriage and family therapy, which was instrumental in helping her lead teams through nine mergers and acquisitions during this business journey. After retiring from executive management, she became certified as a coach through Coach Training Institute and has helped leaders at every level develop their personal and professional awareness and skills. She is certified in several areas of coaching, including deep emotional healing in the Akashic Records. After several losses in her own life, she became an advanced grief recovery specialist so she could help herself and others heal from the many losses we all encounter. Susan says, in quote, while grief is a shattering emotional experience, it can become a gateway for acquiring wisdom and compassion if we take the right actions to recover it, end quote. So welcome, Susan. We're so glad to have you back. Do you know, as I was listening to your introduction, I'm thinking it so makes sense, your path, and it really does all weave together because we're talking about insurance today. We're talking about grief, but part of the whole grief thing is coming from that space. Something has happened, right? right? Like either some tragedy or there's been a, a physical loss of someone. And these are products that help, nothing is going to make you whole, but it does help give you the space. I think for us, that was a piece of it, give you the space to grieve without having to worry about, you know, how you're going to eat or how you're going to make it or how you're going to transition to this new normal. So I don't know why that just hit me today. So I just thought I'd say that like, wow, I see another thread. You have a beginning. There, there are so many. There yes. are many because this whole concept of thriving. When I was doing all the mergers and acquisitions, I had this presentation that I would adapt and change as time went on. But it was called "How to Survive and Thrive in Mergers and Acquisitions." And so, really, I would say that my path is all about helping to guide and mentor people through all kinds of life changes and transitions. You know, some of them are quote, happy ones where you're growing and you're growing your leadership skills, you're getting promoted, you're starting a business or whatever. And some of them are the ones that are much sadder, like losing our health and needing long-term care, or we lose, you know, a loved one like you have done in the last year. And I have also, and yet they're all transitions that we can survive and thrive if we have the right knowledge and the right opportunities, you know, to learn and grow. Like you were saying before, we got onto the recording 
it's all about having an open mind and being willing to learn something new. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. And you're going to help us do that today. I do. I want to because insurance, frankly, is one of those things that a lot of people I encounter say, I hate insurance. <laughs> I understand. I mean, I don't particularly love insurance per se. <laughs> it's kind of funny to me sometimes that I've been doing this since oh, over 40 years, which is kind of crazy. It started when I was five, right? Um, but but um, insurance itself is a very technical thing. But what is the purpose, right? If we look at the big purpose of insurance is to protect people from catastrophic financial loss. That's what it's for. And it's also to help you preserve your own freedom, your own lifestyle, and your own ability to choose. So that's why it fits right into my whole, my particular mission of helping people thrive and grow through all kinds of transitions. Because insurance is all about looking forward, making a plan. It's like you have to have fire insurance before the house is burning, right? Right. (laughs) Life insurance before you die. And so it's thinking ahead about life's risks, of which there are many, right? It's kind of amazing any of us live to any sort. I mean, I'm surprised I've made it to this point. (laughs) All the things that can happen to us with illnesses, injuries, all kinds of crazy stuff. And yet we're still here. But the thing is, what I have found is that those people who do think about the risks, it takes some guts to think about, oh my gosh, I might get old and decrepit and be unable to take care of myself. Or, oh my gosh, I'm going to die. What's going to happen to my kids, my grandkids, my house, my pets? You know, it's like, what's going to happen to those people around me? But for those people who face it, right, face that, let's call it the dark side or the not so pleasant part of life, the risks that can happen, the bad things that can happen. If we face them and look at them objectively and go, okay, what can I do within my budget, within my place in life to, I can't prevent it. None of us can prevent dying. That's a hundred percent risk. That is 100%. We're all going to die. What can I do? What plan can I put in place so that the other people that I love and care about are taken care of when it happens, right? And so we're going to talk about life insurance and we're going to talk about long-term care insurance. And the way I describe it in general, and it's not 100%, but life insurance is really about taking care of the others, taking care of the others around you. Although in some forms of cash value life insurance, which I'll talk about, you can also take care of yourself with it, which seems like an anomaly, but it isn't. Long-term care insurance is about taking care of you and the others because If you have a parent, a spouse, a child, anyone in your life who becomes disabled for a long period of time such that they cannot take care of themselves, well, then either somebody else in that family or several people in that family have to sacrifice themselves and give up their lives to take care of that person, which involves all kinds of financial, physical, social, and emotional stress, or You make a plan, provide a financial plan in the form of a long-term care insurance product so that there will be money there to at least get some professional help so that those people don't have to spend 24 by 7 taking care of you. 
they can be free to live their lives. You know, when you look at it in that way, it makes a lot more sense. And I get it. I mean, I've had people, I've heard so many excuses because we always say, especially with long-term care insurance, denial is always the first thing, right? And denial is not a river in Egypt. It's saying, (laughs) that's never going to happen to me. That's never going to, none of us can say death won't happen to us. We, nobody's that unaware of that. Like we all know we're going to die, but we don't all know we might be disabled or unable to take care of ourselves. And that when people go, oh, that's not going to happen to me. Well, it happens to 70% of the people that are 65 and older. So you got a seven out of 10 chance you're going to need help at some point, right? So next to death, it's the largest risk we face, which is kind of mind boggling, right? My mouth is open and they can't see this. Seven out of 10? (laughs) Yep, that you'll need help for at least 90 days, which is the definition of long-term care. But I'm thinking if I can step back for a minute, and you don't mind if I just keep rambling on? <laughs> no, no, no. We'll just jump okay. in when we have questions because okay. I'd rather, and I think Nia agrees, this information get out because we're not talking about it. You know, we right. said that it, it's not coming. I homeschooled, so I would be to blame for any holes in her education. <laughs> but within the schools, the numbers may be wrong, oh, but they were celebrating that some number that was in the low teens, a state signed into law that financial literacy would become required within the schools, right. in the teens, low teens. That's what we have here. So the okay. majority of people are getting right. it. That's right. Well. And I hate to sound this way, but I wonder even how many of the teachers have any financial literacy. Yes. Because being in this business for 40 years, I tell you, it is shocking and stunning. (laughs) How many people get up into their 60s and 70s and they have hardly any savings? I mean, I met a couple once that were in their 70s and they had just bought a brand new house on the coast. I believe it was one of the Carolinas or something. And they had hardly any savings and their income was not very high, their retirement income between the two of them. And now they want, now they're looking to me to buy long-term care insurance. It's like, I can't sell you insurance, especially your age, you know, and you have hardly any savings. Like I can't, you need to earn more money now just to survive. You can't afford to buy insurance. You know, it's like, no, you need your money for food and rent and transportation. I mean, it was amazing to me. How can you get to, and they were teachers. They were both teachers, which is why I said what I said a minute ago, not to put down all teachers by any means, but it's stunning how many of us get through life and have professional careers and have no clue about how to handle our own finances. Where would we have gotten it? If you're, this is, you know, the accessibility isn't necessarily there. If it's not coming from the schools, not to knock the schools, third generation educator here, like, you know, but it's, I'm a math teacher or I'm a a sociology teacher. I was never good. I'm saying this not for myself, but I'm speaking for someone else. I was never good at math. And therefore I took as few courses as I needed to take. And they thought, you know, algebra and geometry would be the most important ones. And so I took that. So I didn't take finance, even if it was offered. That's how it happens. And then we get to get to a job where the pictures are on the register. So we can't make change. Sorry, guys. I'm like, it's we have done this. We did this. No. Yes, we did. We I have personally do. We have done as a culture. Our generations, we're not supporting ourselves. Well, 
it's a whole lot. We won't even go there. But <laughs> let's just stick with the main point that financial literacy is at an all-time low and it's a tragedy. Yes. So yes. I want to go back to something that we spoke about um, before we get on the podcast is an old school idea that used to be drummed into our heads when we were learning the basics of insurance. And it's called the three-legged stool of financial security. This used to be pounded into people's heads back in the maybe 50s, 60s, I don't know when, but it, it got lost somewhere along the way, but I still like it. The three legs of a stool, if you've ever sat on a three-legged stool, you know that if you take one of those legs away, you fall, right? It cannot stand without all three legs. The three legs of financial security are savings, investments, and insurance. And here's why they are important and how they work. With savings, it's really important to get to a place where you have a minimum of six months of living expenses saved up. Because that way, when things go wrong, you lose a job or something, you know, there's some kind of tragedy or you're, something big in your house blows up and you need to fix it, that you can get by for six months on your own. And that in itself, right? We have we have become a completely debt financed society. Everything's about debt. Just run up your credit card, just buy a car on time and buy everything on a, you know, oh, it's only $39 a month to get this highfalutin stereo system or whatever it is, right? Everything is based on debt, which what does debt do? It makes us slaves. Then we are not free. We can't make choices because we have all these payments we have to make every month and our quote unquote disposable income gets smaller and smaller and smaller. And then when we're in a time like today when the prices are going up like crazy, well, all of a sudden what you thought was a normal amount of money you would need to survive isn't, right? And so if we don't have some savings, some things to fall back on, we can really get in trouble in a hurry. So savings are like the basic. One thing I was taught pretty early was to save 10% of your income. If you make 100 bucks a week, save 10. Because it's not that much harder to live on 90 bucks a week than it is on 100. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but if you start young, saving $10 a week or 10% of what you bring home, that adds up. And the sooner you start, if you're 18 years old and you start. My parents started me at 14 years old. I started a job And I was a very fortunate kid, lived out in the country. They bought me a horse at age 14. But then they said, now you have to work to support the horse, (laughs) which back in the dark ages cost $7 a week. And I made $14 a week working at a dog kennel where I rode my horse to work, which was kind of cool. And so I had two envelopes in my desk, $7 went in the envelope to feed the horse and the other seven, I could do what I wanted with, you know, so I was, I was very lucky that I was taught that from a young age. Not everybody is. But it's a really great habit to get into is to save 10%. Even if you have big debt, still do it. Because you know what? That savings can save your bacon at some point down down the road. (laughs) Then the other, the second uh, leg of the stool is investments. Because money just sitting there in a savings account, what do you get now? Like a third of a percent? You know, you get 42 cents a month in interest on your... (laughs) It's less now. <laughs> it's ridiculous. So investments are to grow money for the future so that you can, as life progresses, you can decide what you want to do. You want to get an education. You want to buy a home. 
you want to invest in a business, whatever it is, you have some money investing and growing for you. And I am not an investment advisor. That's not what I do because I stay in my lane of the insurance, which is the protection of the other two. If you have savings and you have investments, which again, the, the earlier you start and you find either a good person to invest with, you know, a financial planner, or you do it yourself by taking some courses, which you can do online for practically nothing. Um, you grow, you have savings, you have investments. Now you want to protect. The insurance is all about protection. Like we said a few minutes ago, you're going to protect those savings and investments, and you're going to protect even more importantly, your own lifestyle. That's what you're protecting. You're protecting your freedom. You're protecting your ability to choose how and where you live and what you do and all of that. And so that's really what insurance is about. And so when you look at it that way, it's kind of a noble thing, you know, in that you are, I call it courageous. People have to, people are courageous who decide to look at these things when they're younger, you know, and um, with life insurance, if we just sort of segue into the two types I'll talk about are life insurance and long-term care. I want to life insurance first. Life insurance is really, um, there's three basic kinds of, of life insurance. There's one called term insurance, which almost everyone is familiar with. There's one, and then there's cash value or permanent insurance, as it's called. There's two kinds of that, which I'll go into in a moment. Term insurance is the least expensive by far. And what term insurance is, the reason it's called term is because you literally buy it for a term of time. You buy a term policy for a term of 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. Those are the most most likely ones that most people buy. And they're really great for anyone who has dependents, right? If you have, if you're, um, if you have children, if you have a spouse, if you even have a parent or a sibling that you know might need some help down the road and you want to make sure that if you're contributing to that person's well-being while you're working and living, if something happens to you, they will still have finances, then that's what term insurance is for. At, I mean, it, at, at young ages, you can buy it. I'm not going to, well, I mean, you could say it'd be pennies a day. You can buy um, small amounts of term insurance. In fact, I think I even have an example here somewhere. Let me look. I know you can't see it on the podcast, but I want to just give some actual examples. Um, let's see. Here's a 35-year-old female who could actually buy $500,000 worth of term insurance for 20 years for about 40 bucks a month. All right. And now $500,000 is a lot. Many people, when they're young, you know, young families and so on, they might buy even a couple of hundred thousand, 300,000. But what, what's so important about that, especially if it's a young family, suppose one of those breadwinners, even if both people are working or only one person's working, if the breadwinner dies, what happens to the rest of the family, right? They still got to live. And especially if there's small children, then the second person is going to have to stay home probably with the kids and so on. So it's, it's a way to provide for those people that are still there and that need your income. All right. Does that make, is that clear? Oh, it absolutely is. And as yeah. you're saying it, you know, we homeschooled. And so I was home, but mm -hmm. 
but, and I was around a lot of stay at home moms, um, Mm -hmm. a couple of dads, but mostly stay at home moms. And there were times where there were losses and it was devastating. And, you know, it, it becomes a GoFundMe situation as opposed to, yeah. But even then, you know, the, the GoFundMe can't support them for the next 10 years. And you know what's really horrible? What's really horrible? You've heard that old saying that a cobbler's kids have no shoes. One one guy that I worked with who had been in the insurance business forever, like 30 years or something, had a heart attack and died in his like mid-50s. And his wife called me. He did not keep his life insurance. Oh. She's like, I can't. And they had, she had two boys that were like teenagers. And she said, I can't keep the house. There's no way I can keep the house. It was tragic. It was horrible. And I'm like, here's a guy in the insurance business. Mm-hmm. Hello? I mean. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's so devastating. It's because devastating. we think, you know, that people haven't done it because they don't know better but or they are fearful or what, whatever. The, they just forget the or whatever, you know. Oh. And it's like. And so the thing about term insurance, that's really important. Like I just told you about that person who bought this when she was 35, right? So she'll have that for 20 years. But the thing with term insurance is once that term runs out, usually by then you're in your 50s or 60s. And, you know, if she wanted to keep the policy at that point, it would go once she hits 60 years old, it would cost go from $480 a year to $11,000 a year. Because all of life insurance and all 99% of all life insurance and long-term care insurance is based on your age and your health when you buy it. So it's called, it's medical underwriting, right? When you submit an application to a carrier, they're going to, now we have all these databases. They can see what prescription drugs you take. They can see what surgeries you may have had. You know, they're going to have your height and weight and blood pressure, all this stuff from your doctor. Sometimes they actually do a a little paramed exam and come visit you to take height, weight, blood pressure, and blood and urine, sometimes depending on if it's a big policy or whatever. So it's all about your age and your health. The younger you buy any of this stuff, the cheaper it is, obviously, because generally younger people are healthier, right? As, As we get older, things happen. We get high blood pressure. We get this or that cholesterol or whatever. And so it's really important to think about it and buy it as young as you can if you need it, right? If someone's single and they don't have any dependents, then they probably don't need term insurance, right? But um, for people who do, the younger and the healthier they are when they buy it, the better off they'll be. But the reason that term went up so much when she was 60, because now we're talking about 25 years from the time she bought it, they haven't done any underwriting on her. She could have developed some hideous disease in that 35 years. You know, you can mm-hmm. at that point, you can go get a different kind of insurance when you're 60. But if you don't, you know, they're they're not going to take that risk because they haven't seen you, you know, in 35 years. They don't know what kind of mess mm-hmm. you might be in health-wise. All right. Okay. So term insurance also, we can compare it to renting an apartment versus buying a house right? You're just paying that premium every month. You either die during that term or you don't. There's no cash value. There's nothing. There's a pure death benefit. That's it. But that's all people often need when they're younger, right? They just want to make sure if the breadwinner dies, the other people are taken care of, period. 
So it's really good for that. But it is limited in that oftentimes people buy it were in their 30s. And now when they the term ends, if they bought 30 year term and now they're 65, they're a little overweight. They've got a few health problems, you know, now to get another kind of insurance, they won't even sell you term insurance anymore most of the time. Or if they do, it's going to be expensive. Or you can buy one of the permanent types that I'm going to talk about. But you're talking about a much bigger investment than you were for the term when you were 35 years old. Got it. Mm -hmm. All right. Now, the other type of insurance in general is called permanent insurance, which is a little bit of a misnomer. But we call it that because it's designed to cover you like your whole lifespan, let's say that. Like often you buy either a universal life insurance policy or a whole life insurance policy that will cover you to age 99 or 101 or 121 even. So it's going to cover you for your whole lifetime as opposed to term, it's only going to cover you for 10, 20 or 30 years usually, okay? (laughs) The other thing about these two types of permanent insurance, universal and whole life, is that they, in addition to providing a death benefit, provide cash value. And this is, insurance is still protection, okay? It's not really an investment. If you really want to grow your money, insurance is not the only place you would want to put it, right? You want to maybe do some stock market or invest in some businesses or do other types of things. But You can use whole life insurance to build a certain amount of wealth. Again, I would never recommend someone to take all their disposable income or their investable income and put it in whole life insurance, but it's a good thing to have. And I'm going to talk about whole life insurance first because it's kind of the other end of the spectrum from term. This whole life insurance allows you to get the biggest cash value over time, generally speaking. And everything about whole life insurance is guaranteed. So when you buy a whole life insurance policy, the premiums are guaranteed from if you're 40 when you buy it and you have it till your age 110, the premiums will never go up. There's a cash accumulation minimum that is guaranteed. And most of the companies that sell whole life insurance are what's called mutual companies that are owned by their policyholders. They are not stock market companies, so they're not um, on the stock market. Therefore, they pay dividends. And the beauty of whole life insurance, some of these policies, is that every year as the company pays dividends in, you just keep using that to buy more insurance. And that's where the cash starts to grow. It's just crazy. And I'll show you some some examples of that. And again, the younger you do it, the better it is. It's a lot more expensive than term insurance. You're getting a lot more for it. You're getting a death benefit and cash value. And here's the magic. The cash in your whole life insurance policy can be taken out cash free if you follow the rules. If you take it out as either a withdrawal of the cash value or as a loan, which you will pay back if you want to keep the death benefit growing, if you take out a withdrawal of cash, then your death benefit will go down by some formula, you know, related to how much cash you took out. Sometimes people build cash in their whole life insurance policies. They'll take it out like one young man who's brilliant. He's maybe he's 30 years old by now. 
he's in the insurance business. He told me two or three years ago that he already had seven whole life insurance policies and his father had 28. Oh my goodness. (laughs) Whenever they make money in the business, they buy more whole life insurance policies. And he said, I needed to put a new roof on my house. So I took out $28,000 in cash from one of my policies to put on the roof. Right. And I will pay it. He'll pay it back because he wants to keep them all growing. But Mm -hmm. when you take out a loan, there's a whole book. There's a book called Bank on Yourself, which goes through this whole thing. It's like you become your own bank. And so if you want $28,000 from your insurance company, because you have a whole life policy that's been growing for a number of years, you call the you call the insurance company, get a form to fill out. You fill out the form, send it in, and they send you a check for the amount because it's your money that's growing in your policy. It's not like mother may I going to a bank and saying, oh, please, can I have a loan to put a roof on my house? You don't say mother may I to anybody. You call them, they send you a check. I did this. My mother had a cash value life insurance policy when I moved her from the East Coast out to be with me in California when she was starting to get dementia. And I needed a bunch of cash to um, move her and then put her into an assisted living that, you know, cost, there was a whole lot of upfront costs. And so I took 20 or $25,000 out of her policy and then I paid it back over the next couple of years. So, it's really, it's good. <laughs> and I'm going to give you, go ahead. With that, do you, with your life insurance, because um, I know some things you would pay yourself back and you'd also pay interest on, but you're um, paying yourself the interest that it Right, you're paying yourself. There is some interest to pay back because if you think of the insurance company, they're investing all these funds all over the place. And so they're losing some of that investment value in total because they have to make interest to pay interest to all the people, right, in mm-hmm. that have their policies. Mm-hmm. But even during, so during these terrible years when the interest rates were held artificially low, we were talking about, you know, you get a quarter of a percent interest on your saving account. These whole life insurance companies were still paying guaranteed three or 4% a year, some of them, right? So each company is a little bit different. But, and then the company that I like the best, I will not name them on the air like this, but they're one of the oldest and just greatest companies. They just paid, I think it was their 128th year of business. They have never missed a year of paying dividends. And for 2022, they paid all their policyholders the biggest dividend ever. You know, And so a lot of times your money is safer in these insurance companies than in some of the banks, because some of these banks have been doing some crazy stuff. And these insurance companies, like one that's 128 years old, that means it's been through World War One and Two, the Great Depression, uh, Y2K, 2008, everything else. And they're still going along because they tend to have much more conservative investment policies. And some of these banks get into these, I won't say the word, these dumb things <laughs> that... that um, you know, crazy investments. Sometimes the government makes them do it, you know, like making all those crazy loans in 2008 and all that caused the 2008 crash. I mean, it's nuts. And so again, I cannot say that it is an investment. It is still protection, but it's protection with some extra side benefits. And I'm just going to give you an example like I did on the term life. This is a 45-year-old female 
Um, the initial death benefit she purchased was $500,000. Now, in this case, the premium on this, like I said, it's a lot more because it's almost like a, an enforced savings account in a way. So she put $400,000 into the tenant. So actually, and there's two levels of cash value. The very bottom level guarantee was $374,000. But if we look at their historical average, it would be $451,000. So she still gained $50,000 over those 10 years. But then it starts to grow a lot after that. Because after that 10 years... It's a significant premium and you can structure the premiums all kinds of ways. Some people just like to pay a lot up front when they're making high income or whatever and they're working, you know, and they then they're done by the time they're retired. But this person by year 20, so now she's a ripe old age of 65, right? Her net cash value by then is 1.1 million and the death benefit is 1.6 million. So she put 400,000 in but still, there's not too many things you can put 400000 in and have $1.1 in 20 years. Again, it's not purely investment. It's still protection. But it's, it's something. And see, there's a book. Here's another book I would like to uh, inform you and your listeners about. This one is a gem. It's called, What Would the Rockefellers Do? I can't remember the name of the um author right at the moment, but it's an easy book to find. What would the Rockefellers do? These and it's a short are, book too. It's yeah, a short book. The, yeah. the super wealthy people, this is how they do it. They buy multiple, multiple, multiple whole life policies on everybody in their family. And then, you know, the kid gets to be 30 or whatever, and now they want to help the kid invest in the family business or buy a new business or whatever. And the kid's got millions of dollars of cash value in these policies, they don't go to banks and say, may I take out a loan? They just use their own cash stashed in all these policies. Mm-hmm. Because if you think about people who are like billionaires and stuff, it's not like they can, if FDIC only covers your bank deposits till $100,000 or whatever, they don't have like 4 million accounts around with $100,000 each in them. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know, a lot of it, they own stock in their companies that are like mega companies and all that. But they do this kind of thing. That's how they don't pay as many taxes as us poor working slobs do. <laughs> right? <laughs> because they... They know how to invest much better than I ever could, but this is just one of the tools they use, but they use it a lot. And that's a fabulous book to read because it gives you a whole new perspective on this. All right. So yes, whole it's, great it's, it's, it's expensive, you know, in, in the sense that you're going to spend thousands of dollars a year. But if you think of it as almost a forced savings account, you know, I mean, you have to have the income to do it, right? So it's not for everyone. But if you can do it, even with a starting with a small policy, a $100,000 policy, I think the minimum you can buy is a $50,000 policy. But if you get to be the age of, say, 45 or 50 or 60, and you have even two or $300,000 in cash, you're going to be better off than 99% of your peers, you know? That's so true. It's really something to consider. And then the third type is universal life, 
which is kind of a hybrid of the term life and the whole life. The thing with universal life is it was sort of a later development and whole life, I said, has guarantees. It has guarantees of certain things within the policy, the premiums, the death benefits, and so on, um, and certain guaranteed percentages that will be paid on your cash in your account. Universal does not have guarantees. It's more, the way I describe it, it's more like for people who like to fool with things, you know, the ones that, like, I would get a 401k when I was working, and it'd be in there in some fund, and I would look at it once a quarter, and go, okay. I'm not the type that wants to get involved in all that, but some people do and they want to like look at it and change the funds around and don't. Universal life can be more like that. But the bad thing is, since it's more subject to the economy, you know, whole life is just chugging along. Yeah, you're not going to get the greatest returns. You're not going to get 10 or 12 or 15% returns in the good times, but you're not going to get negative returns in the bad times either. Where a universal life policy has more risk as far as the amount of cash value in it and the the um, even the death benefits, some of them are indexed to something like the stock market or one part of the stock market, the S&P 500 or the tech industries or whatever. They're indexed usually to something. So they, they can fluctuate. And so they're absolutely a good thing to do. They're often a lot less expensive in whole life. Um, they do build cash value, not as much as whole life, generally speaking, but you have to watch them. You have to watch them because sometimes if the market goes way down for a period of time, they might say, well, you used to pay 2000 a year uh, premium to keep the death benefit at this rate. But if you want to keep it there now, because all the cash value has gone down, you're going to have to raise that to 2800 a year, 3000 a year or something for some period of time. You know, so it's something that's more variable in general. I'm speaking generally now. Like there's a thousand different products out there and they all work a little bit different, but I don't want to go into that kind of weed. Because when you come to someone like me, we what we do is we get kind of a profile of you on your your health, your financial situation, your family situation, and everything is customized. We find the right product for you. We don't try to fit you into the product, you know, and so there's a lot of moving parts that can be customized to each person. Okay, totally. so there you have that's life insurance. <laughs> does it make sense? I hope I didn't get too complicated. Oh, no, it absolutely does. Well, there are two takeaways for me here, as I understand a little bit more. It's the earlier you do it, the better off you are. Absolutely. But takeaway number two was you had a 45 year old starting out, and that was not an unattractive story either. And maybe right. you can't put what was it? Um, $40,000 a year away, but she had 1.6 million or whatever the number was. I think we could be happy with 10% of that and have it be the 4,000 a year. Maybe it works a little right, bit like right, that. Right. So yeah. it is not the excuses that we may use that it's too late is just right. an excuse as well. So that's right. Yep. Yeah, yeah. there's still choices. Can, it's like, I mean, really the best time, obviously with life insurance, the younger, the better. I mean, if you're in your 40s, early 50s, you're kind of in the sweet spot. Long-term care, you can buy it later. But of course, the longer you wait, the more expensive it is. And, you know, <laughs> and they might even limit how much they will sell you. You know, they will sell. There's some companies that will sell a life insurance policy to someone who's 85 years old. But it's going to cost a lot. Mm -hmm. you know? <laughs> so, they know the numbers are working against them <laughs> exactly yeah because they could sign it and pay premium once and be gone and you know so 
the, the closer you are to the risk actually happening, obviously the more expensive it is. But of course, all life insurance policies, we always have the risk of an accidental death or something or sudden death, you know, that's just life. And you're going to get the death benefit if it happens, you know, a week after you get the policy. They'll do some investigation if that's the case. <laughs> but, <laughs> Aren't there some, though, that they will return your premiums if it happens within, I don't know, three years of when you usually, took out? There's usually a, um, a suicide clause, mm-hmm. right, that goes for at least two years, you know, so that you know, because people could buy insurance because they know they're going to off themselves. And then, you know, so that they do usually a two year and different companies have different rules. The kind of companies that I represent are just the top tier. I don't even mess with anybody else. You know, there's probably are companies that say we'll return the premium to you or whatever. I have not experienced that Mm -hmm. um, personally, you know, with any of my clients. So like you see stuff all the time, right? You see it on TV, you see it on in magazines and on the internet. Hey, you can buy this term insurance for $50 a month with no medical insurance, you know, and I, you know, you have to read the fine print mm-hmm. <laughs> something like that. You know, if you're dealing with the top tier companies, things are pretty well spelled out in a uh, clear, well, with some legal speak, but as clear as they can make it. All the rules they have to abide by and all that. Mm-hmm. Did that answer your question? It does. We all see the, you know, I won't name any names either, but there are tons of insurance companies that are spending quite a bit of money advertising and they lead yes. with low rates, no exams, right. you know, Such but we thing. don't really know what's behind that product. We really right. don't. That's when you have to read, like one of my friends is in her early 70s said, oh, I got this thing in the mail that I could get this this life insurance policy for like $45 a month. I said, really? Send it to me. (laughs) And so, and she said that I don't even have to send it to you. I read the fine print and it was something like only if you die, it was something like in a, in a public transportation accident. So if you die in a plane or a bus or a train, it'll pay. Oh, well, that sounds like an accidental death. Right. Policy. But they weren't putting it out as that. You know what I yes. mean? That's why you have to be really careful. Yeah. So. Yes. Yeah. Word to the wise. Okay. We got exactly. that. <laughs> yep. If it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. Oh, yes. <laughs> That's a hard one to swallow sometimes. Like, why would people intentionally try to trick you? But it happens. Well, yeah. Yeah. Mis- not trick, mislead. Not really misrepresenting because it was in the fine print. So we do need to do our due diligence and read something fully. Because these are, that's the thing with insurance. You know, when I'm talking to people, these are major purchases we're talking about. You know, like you can go on the internet and buy term insurance by yourself at a quote engine sort of thing, even from the good companies, you know. But when you're talking about whole life, universal life or long-term care, which we're going to segue into here. We're talking about a major purchase. This is a huge part of your financial plan for you and your family. So this is something that requires some thought, some analysis. You know, like I usually meet with people several times and I show them what the options are. And it's like, okay, now you go and talk about this. Think about this. I'll research these other things and we'll get back in two or three weeks. And it'll take several of those meetings before a decision is made because these are big deals. You know, it's not. Just, uh, yeah, 
I think I'll just go buy a life insurance policy or, you know, if you're talking about significant ones, like the one I showed you a few minutes ago, you know, $400,000 investment, geez, that's like a house in most parts of the country, not mm -hmm. here in California, but it'd <laughs> <laughs> be a garage here. But anyway, um, <laughs> okay, long-term care insurance. Long-term care insurance is the insurance that provides money to take care of us when we cannot take care of ourselves. And generally, the people who need long-term care are aging. They're usually in their 80s. It's usually about 83, 84 when most people go on claim and they need to use their insurance. But there are often people that have accidents, that have heart attacks, that have cancer, whatever, when they're much younger. And so about 40% of the people on claim in any given moment are actually under age 65 because of that. Hopefully most of them get better. You know, they might be laid up for six or eight months or something. And, you know, they have back surgery or something. They can't get out of bed. So they have to have someone take care of them. But hopefully most of them will recover and move on again. But the way it all works, there are six very basic activities of daily living, as they're called, ADLs, which are bathing, eating, dressing, continence, toileting, and transferring, meaning can you safely move about the home without the danger of falling in and out of bed and out of the shower and so forth. So if you can't perform two of those six activities of daily living because of any sort of functional impairment, like the guy in the body cast, right, or because of severe cognitive impairment like dementia or Alzheimer's, that's when your insurance policy pays. And just like life insurance, you can buy a small policy. You can buy a life insurance policy for you know, a $10,000 debt benefit just to bury you and pay for the funeral, right? Or you can mm -hmm. buy millions of dollars in life insurance if you have a big estate to cover or whatever or anything in between. Long-term care insurance is pretty similar. You can buy a smaller policy or a bigger policy depending on what your expectations are for where you know where you might want to be at that point what kind of family members you have that are willing to help or not again we have to look at everything about the person's their health their financial situation and their family situation and figure out what's the best way to go now because long term care insurance is one of those things that people hate to buy it because again they think this is never going to happen to me I've heard every excuse in the book. Oh, when I get when I get to that point, I'll shoot myself, I'll jump off a bridge, I'll stick my head in the oven. The best one was a farmer out in the Midwest who said, I told my sons, when I get so old, I can't think anymore. You just feed me to the hogs. And I thought, oh, my right. goodness. <laughs> <laughs> that was the best one so far. But I've heard them all. You know, in fact, once. I had a couple that were all set to buy a policy. We had met several times. They were ready to fill out the application. And then they said, well, it was going to be, you know, a few thousand dollars a year for the two of them, right? And, uh, you know, I called to check on when they wanted to fill out the app. And they said, you know what? We decided to buy a couch instead. <laughs> I think that's better than the hog one. <laughs> I, had to, I had to bite my tongue to not say, well, that's your long-term care plan, then you'll be lying on that couch. And I hope there's somebody there to take care of you. <laughs> because I can tell you for a fact, I had two parents who suffered severe injuries. My father had a catastrophic stroke at the age of 61. I had not even heard of long-term care insurance at that time. I had heard about it 
very shortly after. And his whole right side of his body was paralyzed. He had mental and emotional changes. And my mother <clears throat> took care of him for 16 years till he died at the age of 77, which is, I think, why she ended up with Alzheimer's. But um, because my husband, who I met right after uh, my father's stroke, is an expert in long-term care insurance. As soon as this happened to my dad, you know, very shortly after, we bought a policy for my mother, thinking that they might go through all their assets taking care of dad, and there'd be nothing left for her. That didn't happen because she took care of him for 16 years at huge cost to herself. And so we bought her a policy. She was 71 years old when she bought it, so it cost $5,500 a year. She paid premium for 11 years. And then she had to go on claim because of advancing mm. Alzheimer's disease. She was on claim for six and a half years and the insurance paid over $500,000, about $530,000 for her to get wonderful care. And we had put in about 63,000 in premium. So once again, it's pretty big leverage, right? 63,000 mm -hmm. versus 500,000. She didn't even have 500,000. That's the moment right there. So people, oh, well, you know what? I'll just, no, you don't just. The costs continue to go up and up That's and right. up. And much higher than you even thought they might be. <laughs> and you hit a place where you're making decisions that aren't necessarily the best decisions, but they're the decisions that you can afford. And I know that I didn't have to get to that place with my mom, but it was in my head as things were moving on in order to maintain the quality of life, in order to maintain the same access. But now we needed help, like you said, so that it is not just on the people that care for you and help right. costs money. And, right. you know, and it, get, it gets really expensive. It adds up really fast. And yeah. then there comes a point at which it doesn't even work sometimes to take care of the person at home anymore. I mean, my mother was there with my father, but the irony of it all is he was getting really bad and he had dementia, but it wasn't Alzheimer's because when he had the stroke, he, he had a bleed in his brain and it killed some of the brain cells. And so he started to get dementia from that. And he would just start running out of the house and he wouldn't stay in bed. And, you know, she oh. couldn't keep putting this guy back in the bed. And so she was at her, the end of her rope. And on a morning, she was going to, she left the house, had a caregiver come in at last um, <clears throat> to go out and find an assisted living place to put him. And he died while she was gone. It's like, oh my goodness. In there. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> Nothing like on your own terms. Okay. <laughs> That's right. That's right. But I mean, contrast it that to some friends that right now today, it's very tragic. These are friends that my husband has known since college, which is a long time. And um, when he got into the long-term care insurance business, he tried, he presented to them several times saying, you really ought to buy this. He didn't want to push them, you know, because they're friends. You don't want to like act like, oh, you know, I'm trying to make you buy this so I can get the commission or whatever. It's, you know, but he brought it to them several times. They didn't do it. And now the husband has... Parkinson's, he's starting to get dementia. He's really large. He's probably about 260, 70 pounds, and she's, you know, maybe 140. Well, when he can no longer move around at all, she can't. I mean, she can't carry him or get him to the shower or, you know what I mean, without wrecking her back and her own health. So now she just told 
my husband who went to visit them just about two or three weeks ago, she said, God, I wish I had listened to you about long-term care insurance. He's like, I wish you had too. He said, I feel bad. Maybe I should have tried to be more forceful. And she's like, no, you couldn't. You know, at the time we were just like, no, we don't need that. It's heartbreaking. It's horrible. It really is. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and they could have bought it. They had the money and everything. It's like, they just decided, nah, we don't need that. And so long-term care is one of those things that when it hits a family, it's, it's a crisis really, because, Mm -hmm. and often in today's world, if it's mom, you know, who's 80 some years old, whatever, or dad, doesn't matter. Often the kids are spread out all over the country. The adult kids are all over the country. They've got their own businesses, their own careers, their own kids. And now, you know, mom or dad has a stroke. Oh, shoot. Now what do we do, right? If there's been no discussion, no planning, what are we going to do when something happens to mom? Because something is going to happen to 70% of us only 30% of us get really sick and die within days or weeks or just go to bed some night and don't wake up, which we'll all sign up for that one. I've I've got my name in on the waiting list, but I don't know. (laughs) I've written it down, but I I think it's this. It's better to have it and not need it than to need it and not have it. So I will have it, but I plan to not have to use it. And I think we had talked about some some models of it that if you don't use it, you can get. Yes. Someone like that. Yeah. Perfect segue. So just as in the life insurance, I said there's different ways, right? There's the term insurance, which you just pay the premium, you either die during that term or you don't. There's a long-term care. Traditional long-term care is similar to that in that you pay your premium. If you need long-term care, it's going to pay. You often put in inflation protection because the cost of care keeps going up and you might be buying it 20 years before you need care or 30 years. Mm-hmm. And so you want the benefits to keep growing as the cost keeps going up. And if you need the care, you've got it, you know, and if you don't, okay, you paid the premium. But in my view, it's still a good expense because you've taken that burden off of yourself and your family. They know they don't have to take care of you, which is a huge gift. We've had many adult children thank us for selling long-term care insurance to their parents. (laughs) Thank you, because now (laughs) I don't have to worry about them. I can go on with my life, you know? It allows you to thrive in what you're doing. You're not obsessing. You're not with your fingers crossed, hoping nothing happens because I really should. Maybe I should have listened or you're prepared and now you can relax and live. Exactly. Relax and live. And then to me, if you have this taken care of, then you can live a better life, in my view, because, Mm -hmm. you know, long-term care insurance, again, depending on how much you buy and when you start, it's going to be in the four figures. It's going to be you know, thousands of dollars, again, depending on your age and how much you buy. But you're so much better off to buy it younger and healthier, just like life insurance, by a long shot. And But then once you buy it, you're like, okay, I don't have to think, oh, I better not take that trip because suppose I get sick and I better save all this money just in case I get sick. You can take the trip because you know that's taken care of. You know, you can buy a new car. You can give money to your grandkids. You can do whatever, you know, you don't have to worry about not spending your money because something might happen. You've already taken care of it. So what a huge burden off of your mind and your kid's mind, you know, whether you buy insurance or not. Some people who have a lot of money don't buy long-term care insurance because they can pay for the care, but you're still going to pay for the care with 100 cent dollars out of your savings that are taxable dollars, right? The other good thing about long-term care insurance is the leverage. 
So like my mother, we paid 63,000 in premiums and she got over $500,000 in benefits. That's almost almost nine to one, like $8.50 of benefits for every dollar we put in. So that's a pretty good deal, right? And so that's the kind of leverage you can get by buying the insurance, especially if you're younger, like in your 50s, early 60s, you're basically in the sweet spot. Okay, so you were saying the sweet spot is in your late 50s, early 60s. Yeah, but again, the younger, the better. You know, I'm, I'm talking to a couple right now that are in their early 50s. I'm like, oh my gosh, the world is your oyster. <laughs> it really is because you can buy some of the fancier products you know at a much more reasonable cost than if you waited till your late 50s or 60s you know and now what's happened is that over the last few years there's been all these hybrids policies created that combine some form of life insurance either the universal life or the whole life that I talked about with a long-term care benefit so let's just say you have a $500,000 universal life policy that has this long-term care rider, as it's called, on it. Well, if you need long-term care, then you can start to use that $500,000 for long-term care expenses while you're alive. And if you don't use the whole $500,000, your beneficiary will get the rest. If you never need long-term care, your beneficiary will get the whole $500,000. And so generally, it costs a little more than the traditional, but not always. Because there's all kinds of ways these policies are put together again. And the beauty of it is somebody is going to get that $500,000, either your beneficiaries when you die or you when you're alive for long-term care. So those are really nice also. Those often work well for people with children. They want to make sure, you know, if they don't use it, that money goes to them. So you kind of keep it in the family, so to speak, you know. Mm -hmm. And there's all kinds of policies like that. A million different, not a million, that's an exaggeration. A number of different <laughs> varieties <laughs> that work that way. And again, it all comes down to customization and what is it you're after? You know, you're looking for this or that or the other, you know, and we fit the policy to you. And then there's also now annuities, which an annuity is basically just a life insurance policy that pays you something every month. That's all it is. Annuities are not really that mysterious. And you can buy annuities that are called immediate annuities that start paying you tomorrow, or you can buy a deferred annuity that it doesn't pay out a monthly benefit until you reach a certain age or something happens, in which case an annuity that's designed for long-term care will start paying you a benefit once you need long-term care. And so there's nice. all different kinds of options now that weren't here even maybe eight or 10 years ago. And so the biggest thing is for people to think about it, talk to somebody who's a professional who knows what they're doing. If you already have a relationship with someone, please talk to them. If you don't, I'm here. You know, I work with people all over the country. I think I'm licensed in 13 states right now, but if I need to get licensed in another one, I can do it in a day. You know, we have this online thing we can do. So mm -hmm. it's really important that you take such important decisions to a professional who can really help you and is concerned about fitting it into your life, you know, because you don't want to get overinsured either. It's dumb to buy a policy that's too big for your budget that you might not be able to maintain. That doesn't make any sense. Mm -hmm. So you have to fit, you know, the right policy to the right person. That is true, because if you stop paying for it, everything you've invested to date is gone. Right. And you don't have the policy. Right. There's no sense. You know, so it's all about finding the right balance. And having someone to talk to that can explain it in a way that you understand so that 
you're making a knowledgeable decision rather than well, what do you recommend? Like, you know, you're able yeah. to then say, well, what you said was this. I did have a question about the long-term care insurance. Is that ever paid up or are you paying that all the way to the end? Okay. Long-term care insurance, traditional long-term care insurance. Generally you pay it for your lifetime, but the good news about this type of insurance is once you go on claim, then you don't pay premiums anymore. And most long-term care insurance has a waiting period of like 90 days or 100 days from the day you're certified to need care, which usually your doctor will, or someone will say, yeah, you better call your long-term care insurance company. And then they will send someone to evaluate you, put through the plan of care. And that, let's just say that January 1st, you were certified to need care. 90 days later, the benefits will start to be available. And so once that 90-day waiting period is passed, you never pay premiums again. But now, see, the other thing that went through my head is, so if you know it's 90 days, you need to have something in place that will get you through those 90 days, including paying the premium. Right. If you Um, really, because by the time you call it, you need help. My experience. So this is where we get into the weeds a little bit. The, The policies that I like the best, are the ones that have calendar day waiting periods because these policies are structured in all kinds of ways. But the ones that have a calendar day waiting period, if it's January 1st, you have a 90 day wait, April 1st, your benefits will start paying. But if you have some family that can help you for just 90 days, for example, then you don't have to pay anything out of your pocket to get the care because they only got 90 days to take care of you, not the rest of your life. That kind of thing, you know, but if it's something catastrophic and you have to go into an institution, you know, because you had a terrible stroke and you have to go, you know, in a case like that, often you're in the hospital and the clock starts ticking the first day it happens. Right. So you're going to be in the hospital for a while. Then you're going to be in rehab, which a lot of that would be covered by your medical insurance and so on. So then by the time you get out, there might be no gap or a very small gap where you'd have to pay for care. Okay. So it's still a way to go and something we should definitely think about. That's where those savings and investments make a difference too, right? Because Mm -hmm. then if you have to take a few thousand out to pay for care during that time, okay. You know, but not for the rest of your life. Anyway. I love that. Yeah. No, that was great. And I love the stool and we got a little bit of a taste of the other legs. And if you want to be visual about it, if you ignore the insurance leg, you're going to be having to balance yourself a whole lot during life. <laughs> that stool is right. not going that's to be right. sturdy. Yeah. And see, that's why, like the friends we're talking about right now, who the man is needing care and the wife is doing her best to take care of him as long as possible because now they have to start going into their retirement savings. You know, it's like, you know, and it's um, it's not what you really want to spend your retirement savings on. It would have been better to spend a few thousand a year to have this pot of money to take care of him now that he needs it, you know. And you're not going to be able to thrive because once that happens, everyone's life is affected. That's right. And see, my husband just went to see them and he's like, oh, the wife. Oh, boy, she looks bad. Because it's so draining. (laughs) We know. (laughs) If you've been around someone who has dementia, you love them to pieces, but they get on a thing, the thing for the day, right? The idea for the day. And they may repeat that a hundred times. So you want to smash your head into the wall. I mean, (laughs) let's be honest. It's brutal. For the person who has to listen to that, mm-hmm. whatever it is. And you're well, still manually, you know, you're still 
physically taking care of the person. You're not yeah, getting the time, time you to yourself. Yeah, like, every time you hear them get up out of the chair, you're now <laughs> vigilant because, oh, my God, suppose they fall. You want to make sure you help them to the bathroom or whatever. It's, you have no peace. You have no time. You have no life. You know, <laughs> it's really awful. Yeah. Yeah. And it doesn't free you to deal with the emotional impact of uh, it's it's like two deaths, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. the loss of the person that you yes. knew in the way that you knew. And yep. you have all of this other stuff that's getting in the way of your ability to just process just that little piece and be, right. be present. And it, it, all this is producing grief, right? On top of yes. all of it, then you start yes. grieving the loss of your companion, the loss of the person you knew, the loss of your own yes. social life, the loss of your own health, the loss of your own energy. I mean... It goes on and on. It's just yes. very draining to people. Sorry, I don't want to end on a bad note. <laughs> well, no, then we'll ask you this. We'll ask you this question because it's a variation on one that I think we're asking everyone this season. In your words, what does it mean to thrive and how can insurance contribute to our thriving? That's a great question. To me, thriving means that you are not just getting by, not just existing, but that you have um, a certain amount of zest for living. You have some happiness. You have some joy. You have some peace. You know, you're actually enjoying your life at least a good part of the time. Right? <laughs> we all have issues, but to me, thriving is you're enjoying life. You're you're feeling good about your life, um, and that's going to be a different measure for everyone. But having insurance for your life, if you have people that depend on you or long-term care so that you get to retain control over what happens to you in your later times when you can't take care of yourself, those are definitely something that contribute to your thriving because once you've taken care of them, you don't worry about it anymore. You have peace of mind. And peace of mind is a great foundation to thrive on, right? Where you're not always worried about things going wrong. and so. I think it's huge. And for long-term care, like my mother thrived, even though she had Alzheimer's, she was in a wonderful little place, just 15 minutes from here, only 15 residents. And she wasn't just taken care of, she was loved. You know, it was really heartwarming to me to have her in that place. And for her, she was always a social person. And so she would not have been happy being here at home with me where I'm in my office working half the time. We'd have a caregiver out there with her. What would they be doing? Watching TV or, you know, playing with the cards once in a while or whatever. She wanted to be where the people were. And so she never wanted to be in her room. She always wanted to be in the main room. They had kind of a great room that had like their tables and their little sitting area and the TV and the nurse's station was there. And so there's always bustle and people coming and going and Even if she didn't talk, which she hardly talked the last two or three years of her life, she always wanted to be there. And she had a friend, Mary, they would always sit next to each other and kind of cuddle up on the couch and, you know, and they would take van rides. And she thrived to the best she could for the condition she was in. I marveled at that because she never knew she had a problem. I was grieving watching her decline, 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 but she didn't know it, you know. And so, like, we can thrive even in these terrible situations if we've thought ahead (laughs) and Mm -hmm. made a plan because that's what I say to people is everybody says I want to stay at home and some people that's really the right thing but if you're 87 years old and you can't drive and you can't go out sitting there with your cat and a tv 
might not be the greatest life. It might be for some people who really do just like their own company and they don't like the social parts. But for someone like my mother, that would have been misery for her. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it's like we pick our spot and doing this kind of insurance gives you the options because if you have the funding, you get to choose, you know, where you live and all Mm -hmm. that. So. And those we love get to make the choices they know we would choose. And because we've given them the resources to be able to do. And you free your family up to thrive too, because now like I just got to be my mom's friend. I got to visit her (laughs) and bring her ice cream and bring her flowers and sit there and hold her hand and sing her stupid songs in my terrible voice. But, you know, I didn't have to give her a shower change her or any of that stuff you know so it was a huge relief to me and I could just be her friend that came and played with her I didn't have to do all the other stuff so it allowed her to thrive and me to thrive I think that's thriving we have enough experience to know that there's a difference there (laughs) it's the kind of expert you don't want to be but it's true it really is true Mm -hmm. So I hope people will take heed and at least, you know, look into it and um, and you're available. We'll have your information. How can they get in touch with you? We'll also have it on the website, but we'll put it right here. Yeah. The um, my phone number is 818-444-7744 is my office. And my email is Susan at SusanBlaze.com. B-L-A-I-S. Great. And we'll make sure we have that on the website. And yeah. As always, can you know, call me or email me anytime. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. So they can call or email anytime. I think you make insurance fun. Yeah. <laughs> so I just, I think that's what I love about it. I think it's accessible. It's not sitting there like in a contract law class. Yeah. And that's what I try to do. Thank you. Because it's important to me because I think it really matters for people to help them thrive, right? To have better lives. If it didn't, I wouldn't do it. You know, there's a lot of things I could have done to make a lot more money, but I wouldn't do it because I'm not just about the money, right? It's like I care about helping people make their lives better. And if I can't do that, then what's the point? And so I try to demystify it and and like make it as just a part of your life that you kind of need to take care of, you know, like your health and paying your bills and whatever. (laughs) It's just another part of life that's really helpful to take care of. Thank you for your mission. Thank you for bringing it here and making it so accessible and making yourself available for those of us. The 70%. Oh my gosh. That's going to rock my world now. I mean, I have a plan in place for like how I, you know, what I'm going to do in order to, to increase my odds. But you just told me it's a tough race. Tougher than I'd imagine. So we just keep listening to real talk, people. We're going to get there. (laughs) That's right. One step at a time. Yes. Thank you so much. Thank you. I I always love speaking to the two of you. You two are an inspiration in so many ways. Oh my gosh, you're so sweet. Thank Thank you. you. That's because we have lots of good experts (laughs) mentoring us weekly. (laughs) It's great. That's great. It it is. Thank you to our audience. As always, go check out our website at www.realtalkwithdebandnia.com for all extra goodies and resources that were mentioned in this podcast. And if you enjoyed this episode, 
feel free to click that subscribe button on whatever podcast streaming platform you are on. And if you have a little bit of time, leave us a review. We'd love to hear your thoughts. And also don't forget to follow us on our social medias at RealTalkDN on Instagram and Facebook. And you want to do that because we've got a virtual Facebook live podcast coming up and you don't want to miss. So definitely like, subscribe, follow. Yeah. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. And we shall see you next week. See you next time. Real Talk with Deb and Nia can be found on Spotify, Apple Podcast, and on Google Podcast. You can also check out our YouTube channel. And make sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Real Talk DN. See, See you, you next time. time.